comes to us today from two portions of the Word of God, Psalm 36, which is a little bit of a supplemental text, and the primary text is Matthew 13, 44. And today we're going to be looking at uh, the subject of reordered love and uh, exploring a bit more about worship, but... uh, talking about our lives in light of the need to have love uh, reshaped. And so this is the word of God. May he richly bless the reading of his word. How precious is your steadfast love, O God. The children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast on the abundance of your house, and you give them drink from the river of your delights. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light do we see light. And from Matthew 13, we hear these words. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Will you join me in prayer? Our Father, uh, we now pause and come before you with this uh, extraordinary opportunity to hear your word, uh, to hear it preached. And so we ask, Lord, that you will uh, uh, speak to our hearts, that we could know ourselves more clearly. We ask that you would uh, show us in in a more clear way how great the kingdom is and what you've made us for. Uh, Our Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus, uh, the one who came and died and gave his life for us, uh, who rose again, who has ascended, who is king over the church. Uh, We ask in his name. Amen. Amen. Well, I'm going to talk a bit this morning about the idea that... loves in our hearts this morning, and uh, it's a little bit uh, uh, scary when you have to, first of all, launch the sermon with a story about your childhood where you were uh, a pretty uh, crazy little boy. Uh, I, uh, I, wa- I have so many stories of my childhood uh, that uh, are not go- uh, good for public consumption uh, because I was a uh, wild little boy, and uh, earlier this week on Monday... I mentioned to the teachers that if, if you have a sort of uh, out-of-control little boy who acts on impulses, uh, just uh, think that that was once me. Uh, I was like that. Uh, I want to tell you a story, uh, and, and what it does is it speaks to the issue, and here's what, here's what I want you to go away with right up front, is that before you ever believe something, before you ever think about something, you love and I want you to test that. I want you to test that thesis. I want you to test that uh, proposition. And that is before you ever think about something, before you ever believe, you are, you are first and foremost a lover. You love. And what we are really doing in life is that we are, we are feeling our way through life. Here's a story. There was once this young little Cub Scout uh, who was with his father and a bunch of other fathers in the California desert, and we were finding fossils, chipping away at fossils, uh, in the hillside, uh, in this gully, in this small little canyon. And uh, it was time for lunch. 
And so we all scampered up this hillside up on this, on this small cliff, and we dangled our feet off the edge of this cliff, and we had our lunch. We're about, I'm thinking I'm nine, maybe ten years old, and all our equipment's down there below, uh, backpacks and hammers and, and axes and all that sort of thing. And I'm sitting there dangling my feet over the edge of this cliff, and uh, not a very safe place to begin uh, with at all. And so this boy next to me, uh, and I can feel, we feel something underneath us. We feel a crack in the ledge. And so we scoot back, and uh, we start putting our, our heels inside this, this crack. We start, we, re- we start realizing that we, with, uh, with the strength of our, our 10-year-old feet, our 10, 10-year-old legs, were able to, to, to start moving this ledge. We're actually able to move the ledge back and forth. And with, uh, with a coordinated effort, we pushed something probably around the area of 10,000 pounds of dirt uh, over this uh, gully and landed it right on top of backpacks, uh, on top of the uh, hammers. And uh, we were, uh, first of all, scared because of the, the, the sheer the amount of dirt that was, was dropped. Uh, but it was really cool to watch it hit the ground. <laughs> and... Uh, there was a man who came running over to us, an adult, and he said these words to us with great panic. He said, what were you, and fill in the blank, thinking, right. And I remember distinctly in my mind the word nothing came up. <laughs> nothing. Before you... Believe, and before you think, you love. You feel your way through life. Uh, I've shared this story before. Uh, my father had a friend of his from the desert. We'd moved to Redlands and more in toward L.A. This guy looked like Jack Nicholson. Uh, his name, name was Ted Ankeny. And I heard that Ted was coming to visit our family, and I knew that that meant something cool was going to pull into our, our, our street. And Ted had a 1964 XKE Jaguar. Unbelievable. That was the car of cars, the one with the bubble back, the, the, the glass bubble back, you know, something that James Bond would drive. And Ted comes pulling in, and he's wearing those Ray-Ban sunglasses. His hair's all slicked back with that Vaseline oil. He gets out of the car, slams the door, and within minutes, there's about a dozen kids surrounding that car. We're just staring at it. And I remember he walked over, and he opened the door, and he let me sit in the, sit in the seat. And all the other kids had to look at me. And I was the one with the inside pass. And, uh, and to see that rich wood handmade interior of that XKE Jaguar, And if little boys can experience lust, it was happening to me. Before you think and before you believe, you love. We feel our way through life. We feel our way through uh, our journey in life. And uh, we are first and foremost lovers. This is a thought that comes from a man who had tried everything. Uh, Augustine of the 4th century. 
He's the one who came along and said, you know, before we were ever thinkers, before we were ever believers, we love. And the point of what he tried to communicate is that this love is always directed at an object. We imagine first. We think of something. So the moment I, as a little boy, sat on that edge, the le- that ledge, and, I, and I, felt, I felt that crack underneath me, and I scooted back, and I put my boots inside that crack, I was feeling... I was feeling what it meant to be uh, a, a little young man who can, who can control nature. Now, that was not in my mind, but I was feeling it. And I had a love that was there, and it's sort of almost primordial. It was there, just experiencing it. The problem is, is that we are sinners, and our loves are distorted. I, have, I had no regard for safety that day. I had no regard for anyone else that day, and I lived out what I loved, and my love had taken hold of my will, taken hold of my mind, and I was fully engaged. Here's, a, here's what you need to know. You've been made to love, and when you find an object for your love, you go after it with your whole being. Your mind, your body, your personality... Your will, you go after it. Uh, People last night in Waikiki uh, were loving things. Whatever they love in Waikiki, they were going after it. Their hearts were searching for something to love, and once they found that, they targeted it, then they began to to put their body in motion to chase down what what they love. We have, at the core a problem with our loves. Jesus, of course, is the master teacher who uh, describes for us what it's like to love the kingdom. And uh, we have it here in, uh, in Matthew 13, 44. Listen to this. It's actually one of my favorite parables. It's extremely short. Uh, it's so short that it kind of bugs me. Uh, could you tell us more? And the, and the point is, there's no, need to tell, there's no need to tell more about it. Look at this. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. End of parable. Now, some of you are, are ethically minded, and you're wondering, wait a minute, that's not his treasure. <laughs> It's someone else's treasure. Now, Jesus doesn't explain that. <laughs> but if you're reading deeply, you'll find, wait, that's, that's not his treasure. But he, he covers it up, and he at least buys the field in order to own the treasure. It's the shortest parable, but it's a parable that is going after what it's like to, to, to understand the kingdom. The kingdom of heaven is like someone who's found a treasure. And much of the parable is not just the finding of the treasure, Much of the parable is not even about the treasure itself, but it's a response to the treasure. The kingdom of heaven is like, and here's what it's like. It's like having your whole body and your whole mind and all of your loves focused. It's like having a new love. And, of course, uh, the the, the man in the parable has things. He has things. He has possessions. He, He owns stuff. Maybe he owns land. He can go on and on. He owns things. And what happens immediately in this parable is this. Whatever he owns is dead to him. It has no life. 
It has no power. It's not alive anymore. It's just, it's just good to exchange for cash and make that cash turn into something that's truly valuable. And the point of the parable, here it is. The point of the parable is the kingdom of heaven is like being owned so well by its treasure that you want to have the treasure secured. That's the point of the parable. You want to have, not just at arm's length, you, want, you, you can't live, well, it's just over there in that field, and if, whenever I want to go by, I'll take a look at it, and, and I'll uh, observe it and uh, enjoy it for a while, but at least, at least I know where it is. No way. The kingdom of heaven is like someone who wants to own it forever and ever and ever. And so the things that he owned, the things he owned became dead to him in order to own something of ultimate worth. Now, there was a famous sermon years ago by a guy named Thomas Chalmers, who was a pastor in Scotland uh, back in the late 1700s, early 1800s. And the, and the title of the sermon, it goes like this. It's called The Expulsive Power of a New Affection. Expulsive Power of a New Affection. And what uh, T- Chalmers argues there is this. He says, if you take a verse like 1 John 2.15, 1 John 2.15 says, do not love the world or the things in the world. Right? Uh, anyone who loves the things of the world is, a, is an enemy of God. Right? So Chalmers says, let's say you, preacher, preacher, preach on 1 John 2.15. You, you go. Get them. Go after the love of the world. What Chalmers says is, If you just tell them, stop it, stop that desire, change, uh, uh, turn away, uh, and and you can even mount up arguments, Uh, give them reasons to not love the world. Go ahead, preacher, go. And uh, he he lists for pages uh, what you might try to do in order to get people to stop loving the world. And uh, Chalmers argues... If you, if you tell them to turn away from, from like a room full of stuff and say, stop it and, uh, and go in this room with nothing in it. Just, just go in that room and, 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 and sit, sit in this room. It's just a room with nothing in it. Uh, he says that people will resist you like they are at war with you. They will, if they hear you correctly, they will begin to sorrow and mourn and have terror, and, and they will, by their nature, say there's no way. And the point that he's trying to say is that you can never just tell people, stop this. You can never just say, stop that desire without replacing it with another desire. You can't do it. And uh, uh, Kevin Twitt, who's a, an RUF, uh, Reform University Fellowship Minister, um, he, uh, he, he uses this uh, Chalmers illustration uh, for college students and says, look, if you have an, uh, have an old boyfriend and, uh, and he's dropped you and, uh, and you're sorrowful and you're really sad, you'll never, ever get over that boyfriend until what? Ladies? You get a new one. That's right. You've got to get a new one. You've got to experience the expulsive power of a new affection. You've been made for desire. You've been made for love. 
You've been made to have these desires completely own you, completely dominate you. It's not uh, not possible to live any other way. That's why it's so hard to lose weight. (laughs) It's so hard. Why? Because you're imaginative people. I'm probably the most imaginative there is when it comes to food. It's so hard because, but it's possible if there's an expulsive power for a new affection that your affection and love for food can change. You can't just send somebody into an empty room and say, there, you know, be good and stop all that stuff. You can't do it. So what's, what's going on here is that we are now in need of an expulsive power. And what does Jesus do in his parable? He says, here's the expulsive power. The expulsive power is the kingdom. The kingdom rightly seen, the kingdom rightly understood, the kingdom rightly perceived. If you do that, if you see it, if you perceive it, if you understand it, it'll, it, a power comes and it will help you. It will help you. It will radically change the orientation of your heart. You will move from a disordered love to an ordered love, an ordered love in the kingdom of God. So we've been made, we've been made for deep and very powerful desires. And now if you are here and you're not a Christian, th- this is the struggle that you are under. And here's what's happening. In many ways, you're following a story. Uh, preacher, yeah, do your thing up there. Yeah, okay, I got it. Jesus, something to do with believing in him. And, and the story is dismissed because you can't imagine its, its satisfaction. You can't imagine its, its, its overwhelming power. But you do imagine another kind of overwhelming power. And you've got a story. Uh, maybe you're deeply philosophical, and so you uh, read deep philosophical books. And at some point, there's a, there's a love about uh, being aligned with your philosophy. And that, and that love motivates you. Uh, maybe you're, you're caught up in addictive behavior, and, that, and th- those ad- addictions hold forth to you something. Uh, hang in there. Uh, stay committed. Uh, stay involved. And, and, and there's some, some magic, something that's going to come through. You see, you're after, you're after a total, all-encompassing love. There's an ancient Greek myth. Uh, it's called Narcissus. How many, raise your hands, are familiar with Narcissus? Somewhat, somewhat. You've heard Narcissus? You've heard of Narcissism, right? Okay. And uh, Narcissus one day is looking at himself in the reflection in a pond, right? And what happens? He falls in love with himself, right? Okay. it's, It's quite remarkable and it's quite insightful. Narcissus now doesn't live in any other world but himself. He's completely detached from reality, but he's in love. (laughs) Isn't it? It's crazy. Even to talk out loud about it, it's like it feels goofy. He's in love. He's in love with his own orbit. He's in love with his own press. He's in love with his own news clippings. He's in love. And it all makes sense. And the, and the point of this inward, uh, inward uh, is this inversion of love, the point is keep going. Keep going. You're going to find something beautiful about yourself. You're going to find something so wonderful that you'll be, you'll, you'll be able to be captivated for all time. All, even if you want to throw in eternity, it will work for all eternity. 
There's no way you can see the kingdom of God without first seeing your sorrow. You have to be brutally honest. You'll never experience the joy of the kingdom until the kingdom actually speaks to your greatest fear. Why does this person in the parable respond so, so recklessly? They're reckless. Who have, you treat, who have you treat your stuff like this guy? In Matthew 13, 44, none of, none of us do. Well, our stuff works. Our stuff, and this is not a sermon, by the way, to just go get rid of all your stuff. Before you do it, I'm coming over to your house, by the way. This is, what's up with this guy? How, how, how do you live this way? How do you give up with all these things? These things have to work at some level for you. Jesus is coming after the power center of our loves. And he's saying, if you rightly understand the kingdom, it will come to you with power. And it's, a, it's not just sending someone into a room and say, deal with it. Stop that and deal with it. It's an expulsive power. It's an extraordinary power. And here's the deal. It works at the level of your love. Now, let me just, let's just think about it for a second. The apostles... The apostles were willing to give up what is most, most uh, loved by us, and that's ourselves. They were radically committed to selfless uh, abandonment. Uh, and I want to share with you that doctrine, you're not going to be able to exist in this church without hearing a doctrine and how doctrine is important, or beliefs and how beliefs are important. Those are vital but at the, love, at the level of our loves, at the level of, the, of love, the apostles were working. You don't carry around a laminated piece of paper that tells you what you believe. Anybody do that? Now, you have books and you have your Bible. But you don't do that. You don't, uh, at the stop sign, when you're just kind of killing time, you, you don't look at your little sheet of say, yeah, I believe this and I believe this and I believe this. You, you, and you don't perhaps consciously say, oh, I love this, I love this, I love that. But that's where you live. That's how you, your daydreams tell much more about what you love than your belief system. How does Jesus argue? Jesus argues, he says this. It's not even right to even, he does argue, okay. He says, if you love me, whoa, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. That little caveat makes all the difference. If you love me, it's not, that, it's not that if you have strong willpower. It's not that if you're just kind of a, you have a disciple personality. It's not that if you're just a risk taker. Some of you are just naturally risk takers. That's not, that's not a, what, the kingdom isn't about that. The kingdom is about love, the reshaped love of the heart. Do you know what Augustine said? <laughs> he tried everything. He was a, a young partier. He had a, a real struggle with lust. Uh, he uh, he's a he's quite an quite an he he wrote the, the confessions, which is in Western history the first autobiography, uh, really, and some argue that others were, but it's it's quite remarkable. And you know what he says when he reflects upon all his love chasing, all the things that he chased after, and he says of God, he says this. This beautiful little phrase that comes from the confessions. He says this. He says, I've come to love you too late. When you encounter the kingdom and it's all its glory and you have a taste of it, just a taste of it, there'll be a sense of sorrow to say, what was I thinking? Where was I? 
What was I, what was I dreaming about? How disordered I was. And I've come to love you too late. Oh, I wish I had more time. And of course, the good news of the gospel is we have all the time in the world and we'll enter into a world where there is no time. Uh, the, the eternal uh, existence with God. What's the kingdom of heaven like, Jesus? It's like someone who wants to secure it. Listen to that. It's like someone who discovers it and then they take all their energy and they want to secure it, to secure it, to secure it, to make sure it is theirs. And that is, you can describe this in doctrinal terms of pursuing holiness. You can describe this in, uh, in terms of justification. If you believe that by faith alone you have access to, Christ, uh, to, to, to God and that you are justified, uh, that uh, God does not hold your sin against you, uh, you, you, you just can't hear that and then go about your way. You want to secure it. You want to know it's real. You want to push. You want to press. And that's what the New Testament's about. The New Testament is about people who come, encounter Jesus, and they have other loves. The Pharisees, other loves. Status, uh, recognition, uh, power, other loves. People broken, sorrowful, uh, aware of their sin. Jesus says, I'll tell you what, the kingdom is for people like you. And their love is completely reordered. Their love is completely reshaped. You've been made for, you've been made for great desire. Psalm 36, listen to these words. How precious is your steadfast love, O God. The children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast on the abundance of your house. And you give them drink from the river of your delights. For with you is the fountain of life. Oh, I found love. I found it. I found it. I found it. I found what I've been made for. And in your light do we see light. C.S. Lewis said that you, ha- you have a body, but you are a soul. Listen to that. Your soul has been made to speak like the psalmist. And how can you do this? Well, here's, here's how it happens. God comes to our disordered loves, and he sends his son, and his son spreads his arms out wide on the cross, and he communicates, I'm here to embrace you. I'm here to chase you down. I'm here to stretch my arms as wide and as far as they need to go to find sinners. Around the world, Jesus is chasing down sinners with the the love that only he can bring. And what does he bring? He brings an expulsive power of a new affection. And he comes to lift us from our sorrow and to give us this extraordinary energy to secure this kingdom for ourselves that we would know that we know. That's why we worship. I want to know that I know. Everyone is operating by love and they want the same principle. They want to know that they know. When Narcissus, I realize he's a myth, when he looked into that mirror and looked into the reflection in the pond, He imagined what was untrue. He was just seeing a reflection. And he imagined what was false. 
What is it like to believe in the kingdom? It's to bump into truth. That's all satisfying. It's all, all deeply, deeply reordering at the level of our loves. And so now, Jesus comes, and he continues to come by the power of his Spirit to reorder our loves continually. We are not done. We're not done looking in the reflection about ourselves as if we have it within ourselves to supply all that we need. We struggle, but we have hope. Let's pray. Father, I ask that you would uh, reorder our loves today. Uh, Help us to not resist, uh, to not be clever, to think that we can figure it out, and, uh, and that these words can be dismissed. Father, help us fall upon you and cast ourselves upon you, that you would reshape us, and that we would become a people who thirst to have this kingdom secured, to have this treasure owned, part of us, satisfying us forever and ever. We thank you for being the God who's shaped our souls to be passionate for, for desire. Help us, Lord. We cry out, shape our desires. In the name of Christ who came for us, amen.